Welcome to Level 10 Mastery with Ben Lawler. On this podcast, we interview the best and brightest in all walks of life. By doing this, we help you, our listener, become the best version of yourself. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Level 10 Mastery. Today we have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, a mentor, a thought leader, Mr. John Pennington. John is a partner and owner of Savoy Properties, a St. Louis-based real estate investment, development, and management company for the past 13 years. John is the founder and CEO of New Growth Horizon, a parent company to Proper Cannabis and Proper Brands, a fully vertical cannabis company, charged to make a difference in the greater St. Louis and Missouri cannabis and medical market. John is the father of four amazing kiddos, husband to Jenna, and has a hard time not contemplating life, family, and the next best challenge and opportunity. John is a self-made entrepreneur from an early age. He's a former high school teacher who went to the University of Colorado, Boulder, studying engineering, and came away with a history and psychology degree. John is not a paycheck sort of guy. John is a reap what you sow and sow what you and others need sort of guy. John is always seeking to glorify God and all things to all people. John loves being in the mountains, watching his kids be themselves, spending uh, time with his wife, getting a hard sweat, improvisational travel, and listening to the Grateful Dead. John, welcome to the program, brother. Benny, good morning. Quite the introduction there. Well, I appreciate it, man. So starting out, uh, tell us what's new and exciting in your world, man. Uh, well, uh, Ben, as you know, I just had my fourth child uh, three months ago. Uh, we thought we were done maybe six and a half years ago, but a different plan arose, and we're now shuffling the, the deck and, uh, you know, managing the four uh, kiddos and, you know, the, the business ventures and uh, trying to keep a, a good pulse on, you know, the, the balance of life. Yeah. So tell us about that. I mean, they say from, uh, you know, from one to two, it gets easier. But uh, going from three to four, what is that like? You know, the, the biggest jump for us was from two to three. Okay. You know, they, you hear the, the man-to-man to zone. Absolutely. Right? Uh, the shift from three to four hasn't been all that uh, extreme of a difference. I think, uh, you know, once you have three and you're outnumbered, <laughs> at, at that point, it's just, uh, it's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest adjustment is, is really seeing, you know, the older kids take responsibility for, for you know, the baby brother. Absolutely. And yeah. seeing them evolve and, and, you know, kind of take on a different maturity level and responsibility. I think that's been, that's probably been the most fulfilling aspect thus far awesome well speaking of a uh, family take us back to your uh, to your childhood man what was it like growing up in the uh, the Pennington household well I was the uh, I'm the third of four okay um, two older brothers who were twins uh, five years older than myself um, I think I, I probably have the third child syndrome um, and what does that look like have to, you know you have to paint your own picture yeah you know you're in the shadows um, you know, my parents were hard charging. My mom was an executive uh, on, the, on the fast track, female executive. 
and she left um, uh, the executive kind of management world and became a social worker and worked with uh, the inner city, uh, okay. the poor. Uh, my dad, um, he, uh, he's, a, he's an attorney uh, by trade, a very smart attorney, and I call him uh, a man of the law, but he's a philosopher. Okay. So I kind of grew up in this, um, you know, conglomerate of a, a hard-charging, business-minded, yet how are we thinking about the world and others and what we do. Um, you know, my parents were active yet passive. They uh, didn't put a whole lot of pressure on us, um, but somehow they found ways to, um, you know, find that inner motivation within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to this day, I think those are, you know, good parenting, uh, you know, pieces that certainly I considered and how I manage my household. Absolutely. I mean, they say that's one of the, uh, the most important jobs you have, right, is just being a parent, raising some productive, well-adjusted humans. Now, it sounds like you were an entrepreneur from a, from a young age, man. Tell us about that. Is there anything uh, in particular, any stories that kind of come to mind? Um, well, a few. I mean, you know, it start probably started back in, you know, second, third grade, um, you know, collecting baseball cards. Yeah. What do you have? Right. Um, and the, the old Beckett books. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you get this uh, rare rookie card and, you know, it was worth a dollar or two dollars. And why was the other one worth 10 cents? Mm-hmm. And the next year it's worth five dollars. And you start analyzing, um, you know, why? And next thing you know, you get a couple of them and you have a buddy and you say, hey, I'll trade you this and that. And, and you know, you work out a, a deal as a second, third, fourth grader. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that evolved to, you know, even me, you know, caddying at, at the age of probably 11 or 12. I'd walk up to the golf course um, and I'd make, you know, 18 to 20 dollars. I'd stop at Tomboy or Haneke's and I'd buy a sandwich. <laughs> And a pack of Sour Patch Kids, and I'd walk home, and I'd, I'd put $15 in my pocket. I love it. Um, and then in high school, I always had kind of odd jobs. Um, I, I remember just babysitting to, okay. um, you know, shoveling snow. To when I was 15 years old, I started a, um, uh, a landscape company. No and kidding. I uh, first overt uh, practice of breaking the law and... I uh, had two older partners, and I still managed to uh, drive their car around town even though I didn't have my license. <laughs> it's okay. You knew enough. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever get pulled over? Uh, no. No, I did not. <laughs> um, and then I started my own business after high school called SureSeal. We were an asphalt sealing company. Okay. Tell me about uh, that. Well, you know, just, just what you see. You know, you seal asphalt. Yeah. So it started out by sealing driveways. All right. And, and the next thing you know, you knock on the neighbor's door. You know, next thing you know, you're doing four or five of the neighborhood, and then you start doing the subdivision and commercial properties. And so, how did you grow the business, man? Was it referrals? Was it just knocking on word doors? of mouth, knocking on doors? So no time. real, uh, no yeah. advertising. If man. I if I sealed your driveway, I'd go next door, drop them a note. Hey, as long as I'm in the area. Yep. Boom. Just wanted to see if I could help. Yeah, them. and I think that there was something um, uh, attractive and, and humbling to, um, you know, a young entrepreneur who yeah. just was approachable. Right. Um, so did you get, uh, at the time, did you get much rejection there? Did you run into many people who were like, hey, I'm good. So funny get story. Get off my lawn. No, funny story. I um, um, I was sealing a, um, 
Johnny Mac Sporting Goods, okay. which to this day is one of the larger uh, sporting good companies. Big and, operation. Which sold to a Texas company, I yeah. think, maybe a few months back. Right. So I'm sealing their parking lot, and I go in, and I meet with Mr. MacArthur. Okay. And he gives me a check, and I take it to the bank, old PNC Bank on Watson. Yeah. And I go there, and it was maybe a $2,500, $3,000 check. Sure. For a young guy, that's For a big check. And I get to the bank, and I try to cash the check, and they say, well, sir, you don't have an account with us. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, who is SureSeal? And I said, well, I am. That's our company. Yeah, they said, well, we don't have anything registered at the bank. Um, and I said, well, I promise you, this is who I am. Yeah, this is and me. And they said, well, sir, you know, we, we, we can't do anything for you. So it was then, at 17, where I realized I needed a, uh, a tax return. Sure. I needed an LLC. Right. I had to create kind of the legal documents, <laughs> and that's how I learned how to account for starting a business. Right. And I did that for about five or six years and put myself through college. I love it, man. Yeah. So tell us about, uh, tell us about college, man. Colorado. But that had to be a fun experience. So once I decided to um, um, give up football, I was a skier. Okay. Um, I certainly was attracted to the mountain lifestyle. Um, I was interested in the cannabis plant. Yes. Uh, kind of the native uh, state of you know cannabis to this day. Yeah. Um, and I went out there to become a, an engineer. They have a top ten program and one of the best in the nation. Man. Yeah. And I walked out of college with a history and psychology degree. <laughs> So tell us about that. I mean, what was the shift? What uh, well, what kind of happened along think, the way? I know those first couple years you're taking gen eds, but you just kind of well, you know, it. Um, I got deferred to the engineering program. I think I was surrounded by these international students. Yeah, and um, I certainly was. I think decently gifted to compete, um, but you get in there and like, oh my gosh, these people are solving you know physics problems to get to the moon. Yes. I'm just trying to figure out how to calculate X's and O's. <laughs> and I was encouraged by um, my uh, college counselor just to take a, a myriad of classes. Right. And Mix it up. See what you like, see what you don't like. And, they, and she or he asked me, well, you know, what teachers do you like? What classes, um, what, 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 what classes kind of irk your mind and make you think differently? Mm -hmm. And history and psychology just kept coming back. And then after about a year, she encouraged me to keep taking more classes, and I just liked the way it made me think. Yes. I liked the professors. And, you know, as the, at the time, I had my own business, so I wasn't necessarily thinking about, you know, future other than do I like the way that this is kind of uh, making me contemplate things. Absolutely. And that's how it evolved, and those are kind of practices that I uh, began instilling when I became a teacher. I love it. So, so tell us right out of college, what was your first, what was your first job out of school? So I taught, I taught at Regis High School in in, in Aurora. Okay. Uh, Jesuit uh, college preparatory school. Love it. Co-institutional. Yeah. Uh, big campus, boys boys side and girls side. Okay. And I uh, I I spent the year as a uh, uh, through a program called the Alumni Service Corps. Okay, the Alumni Service Corps. It's kind of like the Peace Corps for the Jesuits. Okay. So they, um, they gave me an apartment. Yeah. I, um, they paid for my gas. I got insurance. I coached football, basketball, and baseball. Did I was you really? working about 80 hours a week. <laughs> and uh, I made time. $300 a month. Come on, man. Yeah. 
I mean, you had some benefits that went along with it. Well, but, uh, and it was one of those things where, you know, you're coming from um, the high life, no pun intended, in college, yeah. and you think you have things figured out. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, this is pretty cool. Right. Uh, you, could, you, you could get fulfillment. Yes. Making no money. And that was right. the idea of the program. Yeah. It was just giving back. So here my goal at the time others. was, hey, I want to be this sports agent. That's really what I thought I was going to be. Okay. I was prepping to go to law school. Yeah. Kind of get brought down to earth and realize, wow, as a 23-year-old, you have mm -hmm. responsibility to, to manage and teach and coach these kids. And uh, the excitement of fulfillment you can get without a paycheck. Right. Wow. So how long did you do that? One year. One year. Yeah. So what were some of the uh, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned in that year? What were some of the things that you found to be the most rewarding during that time? Well, you think about coaching, yeah, and teaching, yes, and mentorship, um, and the responsibility that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And here, um, as a twenty-three-year-old, twenty-four-year-old, I've got, you know. A big mix of adolescent boys who who I noticed early on were looking up to me. Absolutely. And I was not just a coach or a teacher. I was somebody who uh, had the ability to tell them stories. Yeah. Uh, to listen to them. To um, uh, and to respond. Right? That's what that's what responsibility is. It's mm -hmm. the re the ability to respond to a situation. That's right. So um, I remember that the days where I thought I was most prepared for a class, yes. a lesson plan, tended to backfire. Why was that? Because uh, you think you had it figured out, and, uh, and then you walk in with a class of 25, 14, 15, 16-year-old boys, and yeah. how do you manage that? Right. And the days where you could go in and almost just you know, take a, a, a poll on what's happening and seeing their faces and their feelings and improvise. Those typically were the best lesson plans. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Would you say any of that uh, carries over now to what you're, to what you're doing? I mean, well, I'm sure, it, you know, it seems like you're very planned, you're very structured, but it also seems like you're the type of guy that you can improvise, man. You're quick on your feet. Well, it goes back to... Um, that responsibility. Mm -hmm. I just read a book, I forget where, and they were they were comparing survivors of the Holocaust. Yes. And for the most part, if you and I are there, we're in, you know, we're enduring the same situation. Absolutely. Right? Um, why did some survive? And I would say uh, mindset. Mindset. You know, you look at uh, Viktor Frankl. Yeah. You know, there's only a couple things that you have control over. One is your, is your mindset, in my opinion. But what did you hear? What well, that's you that's that's pretty much what it is. Mm -hmm. How do you respond mm -hmm. to a situation? Absolutely. Um, you could say, "Holy shit, um, I'm about to get shot. Mm -hmm. I just witnessed my brother get shot," and you could cave in. Yes. Uh, which which most people just, it took a toll on them. Absolutely. Or, you know, you shift your mind and realize, okay, you don't have control of the situation. How do you manage to the situation? Mm -hmm. So whatever the situation is, whether you're 
a young high school teacher walking into a class of highly uh, wound up, testosterone <laughs> building up boys, yeah. managing that situation to um, how do you walk into a town hall meeting and present um, you know, a 30 or $40 million development project mm -hmm. knowing that everybody has already made up their opinion that you're a bad person. Absolutely. You know, to transforming how the medical world works. Mm -hmm. um, and so I tend to kind of approach my life, my relationships um, with that same level of mindset. How do I respond to um, that instant interaction with somebody? Yes. Do I, am I interested? Or, you know, you've heard the sliding door approach, do I just slide along? Mm -hmm. Well, we're constantly sliding along, but how are we handling that, that quick interaction? Absolutely. That's the key. Yeah, you bring up a good point there. I mean, because everybody out there, John, they experience stress. You know, they experience challenges, but it seems like those that really set themselves apart are, are the ones who have the ability to respond. You know, those that, um, you know, for example, somebody gets hit with a high level of stress, some people will just, they'll just crumble, right? They'll just throw in the towel. But others will actually um, rise to a whole different level. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, the Bible talks to this. Mm -hmm. And um, no different than physical gifts, we have spiritual gifts. That's right. Um, some people are six foot six who can run a 40 and a 4.3, and mm -hmm. they're playing professional football. That's right. Uh, I'm five foot ten. Um, I ran a 4.740. I was pretty quick, but I don't think I had the chance to play for the St. Louis Rams. Yeah. Um, and I think spiritual gifts, um, I think, are ones that, um, that, that people don't pay as much attention to. And I, I think that mental stamina and strength is often, uh, to me, um, more of a spiritual intercession. Mm -hmm. And once you have that and you're aware of that, mindset shifts. I love it. Wow. So what advice do you have for people out there that maybe have not encountered or have not discovered their gifts? How does a person uh, tap into that? So you're in the top 20 of Tom James, right? That's right. Um, I don't know what number you are. Uh, let's see, last year I was number 14. And you think God cares if you're 14 or 13? No. You no, think he cares I... if you're five or four? No, I don't think so. So God doesn't have, if God exists... He wouldn't be like, all right, Ben, now you're number 13. You're in. Yes. That doesn't make sense. No. Right? No, it doesn't. So um, so when you think about that, and I'll, I'll contemplate this, um, if God exists, which I certainly believe he does. And I believe he does as practice, well. Yes. And you can't compete in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. Nothing you can do can live up to his standards. He doesn't care what your performance is. He cares about your relationship with him. That's right. Then ultimately, let's not try to compete with him. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's a no-win situation. No-win. Yeah. Right? 
So, but instead, it's working on on that relationship. And and and, and so in any aspect of life, mm -hmm. whether work, um, parenting, yeah, uh, you know, civic-minded stuff. Um, how do you kind of give into um, the gifts that you're given? Mm -hmm. I can't control if I'm six foot four. No. No different than I can't control that I've got curly hair and blue eyes. Yes. Those are just things that are, that's who I am. That's right. But you right. can't control your relationship with God. I can. You can control your mindset. You can control your attitude. Yeah. You can, you have ability to respond to certain situations. I love it. Well, let's talk about faith a little bit. I know that's very important to you. What role does faith play in your in your daily life? You know, whether it comes to business or family or relationships. You know, um, I grew up in a, I think a spiritual house. Uh, I went to church um, and went to uh, good Jesuit schools. I've always had a, uh, I think, a, a, an outlook of, hey, there's something out there. Mm -hmm. um, God exists. Um, and, you know, when I look at my life, I've been pretty damn lucky. Yeah. Um, but I've also, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fucked up, broken person. Yeah. We all have, we all have issues, man. So when life's good, and when you're in the, you know, late 20s or you're uh -huh. 18 years old and you're chasing around yeah. and you're you're doing nice things and uh -huh. you're giving money away and you're going to church you think that's okay yes right you think okay because I'm doing these things mm -hmm. and I'm not hurting people yeah um, then you're good here's what changed Michael Brown yeah Ferguson Ferguson so I was in Santa Barbara the week, or the weekend that um, he was shot, first week of August. What year was that? That was six years ago. Holy cow. Six and a half years ago, August. Yeah, I remember that. And, um, or will be six years. I guess it was 2014. I think it was. So if you recall, the, the, the riots didn't take place until the week after. That's, that's exactly right. So it happened... Um, there was a lot of pent-up hostility, yes, pent-up rage, exactly. anger. So I remember being in Santa Barbara thinking, holy shit, this has happened in my backyard. Yeah. Um, what were you doing out there, Santa Barbara? I was at a wedding. Okay. Um, and, you know, we did a little traveling, mm -hmm. uh, you know, before and after. Yeah. So the next Friday is when the riots really took off. Yes. And I couldn't sleep. I was watching CNN. It was all over the news. All over the news. Every national major news, so news station. Fox, CNN, yeah. you know, CNBC. I remember the time people right. were calling. People were blowing up my phone. It's like, yeah. man, is everything okay? What's going on there? So I couldn't sleep. We had, uh, at the time, I think we had just, either we were pregnant with our third or we had just had our third. Mm -hmm. um, so I turned to my wife and I said, I'm going to Ferguson. And I pick up 5.30 a.m. and I go and I get two dozen donuts from a, a Dunkin' Donuts that we own. Okay. And I go to Sam's Meat Market, which is the epicenter of where this was taking place. Yeah. And for two hours, these guys thought I was an FBI agent. And I'm dressed like this. Yeah. Jeans, 
in a t-shirt and I'm wearing a cardinal hat. They're saying, who is this guy? Yeah. What's he doing here? What, what's, your, what's your deal, man? What do you want? What's your motive? What you, that's right. And then finally, when I was able to show them that I lived in Kirkwood, mm-hmm. I had kids. Yeah. I'm a cardinal fan too. I'm just a regular guy. And I started boarding up the windows that were, yeah. you know, that were broken into from the night before. Sure, because there was a lot the of guard damage, was, man. That's right. The guard was taken down by both of by both of us. And I yeah. say us, them, and me. Yeah. And we just started having conversations. So segue into maybe noon. Um, I, I get in a, a conversation with a guy, and um, I asked him. Said. Why would you break in to the store for a candy bar or a soda? Yeah, what's your rationale there? That's what we know. That was his response. That's what my buddies have done. That's what my parents have done. Which is what we know. Yeah. So now I shift. And I go to my uh, one of my spiritual advisors we had met on Tuesday. So now okay. shift a couple days later. I'm, I'm sitting there talking to him. Yeah. And um, as a upper middle class Caucasian man, mm-hmm. we, um, what's the best way to put it? We, um, we can get away with more. Yeah, so I agree with that. It's easy from the outside world to look at the news and, and say, holy shit, why the hell would these guys go steal a candy bar? Yeah. And, and here, our peers are looking at them as if, that's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But when you look at yourself and you say, well, what have you gotten away with, big fella? Mm-hmm. I got away with a lot. You can disguise it. Yeah. Yes. You can hide it more. Well, what's worse, stealing a candy bar or disguising and lying about the shitty things that you do? Sure. Look yourself in the mirror. That's worse. Yeah. That's when the paradigm shift hit. Okay. And you realize, I'm just as effed up, if not more, than the guy stealing the candy bar. Yeah. That's right. So, wow. so how long were you out there? Were you out there for the whole day? I was out there for the whole day and the next day, and um, you know, I've got, I've got, you know, certainly opinions on regional topics as such. But yeah, uh, you know, it was a, it was a shift in my, in my mind, in my life, my spirituality, yeah, my business, and and to this day, it wasn't. We, we get the attention of Michael Brown. I yeah. just happened to have an experience a week later with the people there mm-hmm. that in some fashion shifted my mind for forever. So what was that? What, what called you out there? Realizing that um, I, uh, my ego had to be in check. Mm-hmm. Realizing that I've done a really good job getting away with things, disguising yeah. things, manipulating right. things. Uh, that just because of certain things I can get away with mm-hmm. doesn't make it right. Yeah. What's my purpose? Absolutely. And um, what is sin? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be fucked up? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Is stealing a candy bar or cheating on your taxes? What's worse? They're both bad, right? They're both sins. What's, what's worse? Uh, stealing a candy bar or... Walking down the street saying, I want out of that gal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can get away with it. Yeah, that's right. So let's talk about that, John. What is your, you know, going a little bit deeper, what would you say is your, what's your purpose in life? What is your, what is your mission? 
So you got one crack, right? Yeah. I think. Um, well, depending born, on who you talk with. Depending on who you talk with. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I don't think I'm going to come back to be a flower. Yeah. Uh, but I like flowers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, um, but, you know, the world exists. Um, creation exists. Yes. Um, do you think God put you on this world to be a suit salesman? No, I don't think so. But you sell suits. I do. And you're good at it. Yeah. Right? And I love it. And you love it. So then it gets back to say, okay, well, um, you're called to do something. You can't just, you can't not work. Sure. Yeah, you need a, you need a profession. You need a profession. You need um, to, you know, as a father and a husband, I need to provide for my family. So you know, that just happens to be my that happens to be my path. There's a, there's a number of other things that go along with it, but that is, that's what I do. And I would argue that um, you could probably go out and sell houses and do a good job. Yeah, I mean, you in college, go I out uh, there and 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 sell uh, Washington D.C. on things that they could change if you dedicated the time to do it. Sure. So absolutely, the job anything is to do a is temporary replacement of what. Of, of something you're doing. That's right. I, I heard out- somebody say recently it's uh, it's like a vehicle. Yeah, it's you an know, your output. Career, it's just a vehicle to get you to where you want to go. Yeah. So, then you then look internally and say, well, what are gifts? Mm-hmm. Gifts are essentially um, getting something you don't necessarily deserve. Yes. That's the meaning of grace sure. as well. Yeah, you don't always expect it, but... Sometimes it's bestowed on you, and you just have to you have to embrace that, man. You have to you have to own that, but in a way that's humble. Unmerited favor mm-hmm. is grace, which is another way of saying you've got a gift. Yes, right. So, at the end of the day, um, we have gifts. The challenge is, is most people know don't know what their gifts are. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you can be more aware of your gifts. I, one of the, uh, you've probably read the guy, uh, um, John Gordon. Yeah. The Energy Bus. Absolutely. Had, I'm familiar had, with John. Yeah. I had lunch with him maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago. And, okay. Um, the word energy derives from an old Greek word that he defines as entheos. Okay. And you break down the meaning of entheos. It means divine spirit. Divine spirit. And the whole correlation says people are most energized when they're using their divine mm-hmm. spirit, which in some regards is really <clears throat> gifts yeah. from God. Right. Once you know what your gifts are, you're using them, you're most energized. So I think the purpose of life is to realize that the gifts you're given yes. were nothing you deserve to get them. Yes. They're gifts that you were given, right? That's, that's exactly right. Then you got to go use them. Sure, for good. You know, went down the right way. I think a gift should be used to, to help others, right? To pour into the lives of others, right? At the end of the day, it's not how much you have, how much you acquire, but rather, how many people have you influenced along the way? Yeah. How many people have you helped? And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, is the world a better place? It's a better place. And then I think that, um, you know, break it down even further and say, okay, you're giving gifts. Mm-hmm. Well, if people don't know what their gifts are, yeah. And maybe people like me and you can go help them figure out what they are. Absolutely. There's a lot of people who are just, who are lost out there. 
lot of people who are broken. They just need direction. You know, they need leadership. They need mentorship. You know, you, whenever you mentioned energy, it reminded me of, uh, I know you're familiar with Tony Robbins. Yeah. So my brother and I had an opportunity to go to a Tony Robbins conference. Didn't he buy a suit from you? Um, he's, a, you? he's a customer of Tom James. I didn't work with him personally, but uh, he, is a, he is a client of he's Tom a big, James. big guy, man. Oh, huge dude. Huge. What size jacket would he wear tonight? Man, if I had to guess, he's probably a size 50. Wow. Yeah, but he's, he's tall. I mean, just larger than life. Yeah. Uh, but whenever he was out there, you know, this was over the course of four days, you know, just a lot of information. But if I had to boil it down, John, three things that I picked up there. State, story, and strategy. And whenever you mention energy, I think about, I think about state, right? Now, some people you meet with and they have a very low energy state. You know, their head is down and they're slumped over and maybe they're looking off in the distance. But other times, you know, you meet the person and they're just, they're locked down. They're looking you right in the eyes. That person's at a high energy state. Yeah, and then right. you think about your story, which is what we're talking about. Why are we here? You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And then that third component is strategy. You know, once you're in that right mental state and you know exactly what you're your story is, and you're very specific, you're very intentional, man, what is your strategy? What will you do with that? That's, in my opinion, that's the, the recipe for success. Yeah, and success is really the execution of the things that you think about, mm -hmm. not what you have. Yeah. Can you execute on the things that you think about? Yes. So speaking of success, man, I know you've had um, a fair amount of success in the, in the real estate industry. Um, and recently, um, you've gotten into the cannabis industry. You mind if we dive into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so tell us about that. I know you spent some time in Colorado, and you know you've had a passion for the for the plant. But how did you how did you get started on the business side? Yeah, I um, of cannabis. So the plant's been around for since the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe. I think it's a, it's a plant. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, at one point in my life, I was a recreational user. I, I um, used it what I thought was appropriately. It never brought me down. In fact, I think it was probably a inadvertent medicine that I just took that helped mm -hmm. me, but a doctor just never communicated that to me. Sure. Um, you know, played high-level sports, you know, um, got really good grades. Uh, that blossomed into, you know, college. Um, so that was kind of the, the beginning of, of just how I interacted with it personally. And then mm -hmm. when I lived in Colorado, you started seeing a shift from, from um, kind of the market standpoint of this becoming a little bit more acceptable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fast forward, you know, 10 years later, uh, here we are. So I've, I've been involved in helping, uh, you know, roll out the, the Missouri ball. Yes. And growing up in the drug treatment space, I... Um, uh, you know, thought it would be uh, important to potentially be a part of upholding what I think the standards of this business and plan should be. Absolutely. And um, so we built the business plan kind of around that. Um, and what is what's the current state of of cannabis in Missouri? So what we are uh, like we're rolling side? out our our uh, <laughs> our project here the first part of April. So we've got um, um, we're charged to to build a vertical company and. Um, I love it. So what do you mean whenever you say vertical? Is it you're in... So cultivation. Yes. Uh, to manufacturing, converting the raw material mm -hmm. into other products. Okay. 
to then being able to sell that on the retail side. I love it. So uh, you don't strike me as a guy that takes a ton of medicine. I, tr uh, I try not to, unless I absolutely have to. Um, I'm more of a natural, holistic. You ever take Advil? I do occasionally. Yeah, sometimes after a long night. Have you ever read the fine night, print in the back of an Advil bottle? I have. Yeah. yeah you think most people, every time they take Advil, read the back of it? No. I would no. say 90% of people probably do not. So, like anything, um, consumers take things that were either sold mm -hmm. or somebody tells us to take. Yes. You know? Consumption really becomes unconscious. Um, so on the medical side, you have this world that exists where you go and you see a doctor, you talk about what's going on in your life, and for the most part, you walk away with a prescription. Right. Right. If you go and get a prescription, where do you go to pick that up? Go to the pharmacy. Yeah. Do you know your pharmacist? I know a couple of pharmacists, but I don't have a great relationship with one pharmacist. So you go to the general. pharmacist, maybe yeah. a CVS or Walgreens. Sure. Here's your ID. Uh -huh. Thank you, sir, for coming. Do you have any questions? Sometimes you ask them. Most times you don't. You walk yeah. away. You've got a pamphlet on the back if you want to read it. Yeah. Most read people it. probably don't read that. Right. Where are your favorite restaurants? Man, gosh, right off the top, I would say Cooper's Hawk right down the road. Why? Man, we love the uh, we love the wine club there. Yeah. So my wife and I go there a couple days a week. Yeah. Well, not a couple days a week, a couple times a month. Um, man, great food selection, great service. Yeah. We know the we know the waiters there and waitresses and the bartender. We have a relationship. They know you. They know us. So you like the food. You like the product. You like the people. Yeah. Right. So medicine should be no different. Mm -hmm. So we have an opportunity to create products. Yes turn them into other products, um, and then interact with the consumer based on what's going on in their life. Why can't you sleep? What, what's your pain issue? Mm -hmm. Do you want to just have a little bit more fun at the party? Yeah. Um, when you can get people to talk about what's going on in their lives, mm -hmm. from a, even from a medical perspective, yeah. you're allowing people to talk internally about themselves. Absolutely. What, that's what therapy is. You allow them to open up. Have you ever heal. not felt better after you've cried? Man, I always feel better after a good cry. And have you ever not felt better after you go get a nice sweat or workout? Definitely. Man. Right? So yeah. you look at therapy, mm -hmm. it's no different. Sure. If, well, it's, you know, a lot of people, they'll keep uh, emotions bottled up. Yeah. You know, I heard an analogy recently with a, a trash can, right? You put a trash can out full of garbage in the hot sun and you leave it there for a couple days you know you open up that lid yeah what's it smell like shit <sighs> knock your socks off yeah man. but on the other hand man you take it out boom clean it out that same day you open it up that's okay whole different story man. right same probably the same thing with your with your emotions yeah same situation you know that's why intimacy you feel mm -hmm. better after you you know, make nice love with your wife. Exactly right. right. You feel yeah. better after a good workout, a good cry. Yes. So, uh, as society, we're um, we're kind of trained unconsciously to hold things in. Mm -hmm. Guys got to be stronger. Yeah. Right. Be a man. Crying is not a good thing. Yeah. Don't show your emotions. Right. Well, actually, it's a buildup. You're pushing things under the rug. Sure. So I'm not here to say, hey, the 16 year old should come to my pot shop and get high. Mm -hmm. And here you go. Yeah. But can we create products 
and have an interaction with our customer and understand what's going on in their life. Yeah. And can I actually give them something that may actually be different than anything they've ever taken. Right. Or not. So how can you effectively do that on a on a large scale? Because you're thought you're talking about combining, you know, therapy with, you know, a medicinal treatment. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, from a medical perspective, you're gonna have you're gonna come to the store. Mm -hmm. You have to show your ID. We have right. to know that you've met a qualifying condition. Absolutely. So the good thing is we'll have a chance to actually know why you're there. Okay. Now, from a from an operation perspective, can we have that real interaction? Mm -hmm. So Ben comes into proper cannabis and says, "Hey, you know, I'm here because I'm dealing with." some back issues yeah um, and I just you know I've had surgery I've taken steroids yeah well why don't you try this topical cream mm -hmm. or why don't you take this higher dosage of CBD and a lower dose of THC and then take this for a week yeah and call me try it out and let me know what happens yeah are you seeing some improvement here or not, if not let's shift gears we can shift that's how, okay. how many times you meet with your doctor a year Man, I just met with him uh, earlier this week. I typically do it once a year. I go every five years. Okay. Right? Some you, people, should go, you should go once a year. I should go. <laughs> well, luckily, I have a medical director on my staff, so okay. I can talk to her. Yeah. About it. You but, like you him. know, you get the drift here. Yes. How do we create that more intimate interaction with yes. what's going on in our lives and our bodies? Well, you bring and, up a good point, man, in the business world. I mean, I think that's what sets, uh, that, that's what sets business apart, man, is, is relationship. You know, and what are relationships built on? They're built on trust. Trust. You know, if somebody, somebody knows you, if somebody likes you, and if somebody trusts you, yeah, they're going to come back and they're going to do business time and time again. Not only that, but they're going to refer friends and family and coworkers. So relationship. Just, yeah, so just like the restaurants you go to, you've got a good relationship. Mm -hmm. And like anything in life, the more you put in, the more you get out. You know yeah. a lot of people. Yes. Um, but when you look at who your best friends are. Sure. It's the people who probably know more about yourself mm -hmm. than you do. Yeah, it, those are the people where you're real, you're raw, you're open, yeah. you're intimate. So, Others are just acquaintances. But then you've got your true, your circle, your tribe. So that sliding door. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be best friends and yeah. know everything about each other, but we still have an opportunity to have that small interaction, mm -hmm. that intimate interaction. Yes. So when people ask, how how you doing? And most people respond, oh, I'm busy. Yeah. Or I'm tired. Well, who yeah. isn't freaking busy or tired? Yeah. I'm asking, how you doing? Yeah. How you feeling? What's going on in your life? I want to know. You want to really know? You know, some people, some people ask, but yeah. they don't want to know. How you doing? Good. So how you doing? As a recipient of a question, yeah. you need to be more in tune with what questions are being asked of us. Sure. And then respond in ways that is actually more authentic to the question they asked. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling? Uh, good. Versus, you know what? I didn't really sleep well last night. I was mm -hmm. thinking about this. Yeah. And, um, you know, my wife and I got in this argument, or I was thinking, of, mm -hmm. what's a better response? Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so let me ask you this, John. What, um, <clears throat> being involved in the, uh, in the industry, what really excites you, man? What, what really ignites your fire, man, about the, the cannabis industry here in St. Louis, Missouri, and across the nation? Well, the, big, the biggest obstructionists to the industry have been the alcohol companies, the consumer mm -hmm. companies, the yeah. pharmaceutical companies, because it's been a threat to their market share. Absolutely. And I look at um, that world, mm -hmm. the market. Sure. I mean, you've um, got some big conglomerates out there, man. So 
Washington, D.C. is set up in a way where if you have money, mm-hmm. you have ideas, yeah. you have lobbyists, you can get things done. Sure. So um, ADHD medicine has only been around for 20 years. Yeah. It's a multi-billion dollar drug. There's a lot of prescriptions that right? go out each so, year. Not here some people it. need it, some people don't. Some people don't. But um, the ability to convince the market that mm-hmm. something should exist yes. has billions of dollars of ramifications. So mm-hmm. these companies who um, who haven't wanted this industry to exist has really been because of a threat to themselves. Yes. That's human nature too. So I can compete here. I can create a product that, that I know that what the genetics are, mm-hmm. who's making that. Yeah. I can convert that to other types of medicine that I know. Yes. And then I can sell them or interact with the customer in a way, well, maybe you should try this. Yes. Um, so what motivates me is doing that, knowing that probably in five years from now, the big the big companies, mm-hmm. the former obstructionists, yeah. are going to be taking over. Absolutely. So and, you know, you know, stepping back, John, I mean, early 1900s, from what I understand, I mean, cannabis and hemp were very prevalent. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were using and talking about pharmacists. It was actually heavily prescribed. Now, when prohibition came along, then they needed a scapegoat, right? They sure. needed somebody to fall on the sword. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I mean, at the time, prohibition came around, boom, alcohol. People were having a cocktail. People were having beer. But then it was legalized. We had this whole war on drugs. So I feel like there's there's this whole pent-up demand, pent-up energy. People are, are hungry to learn about it and, and know about it and experience this. Um, so what are your thoughts on that pent-up demand and the kind of the war on drugs that we've seen over the, over the last few decades? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a bigger issue. Um, do you ever eat Doritos? I do. Not very often. but uh, Would you ever encourage your kids to eat a bag of Doritos a day? I wouldn't recommend it. No. Um, would you ever recommend an 18-year-old to drink a case of beer a day? No. But a, a handful of Doritos and a beer or two or a glass of wine... Sure. It's okay, right? Like my mother always said, everything in moderation. Moderation. So, you know, same thing on any consumer product. Yeah. So um, the war on drugs uh, has existed for many, many reasons. Yes. Um, and I think we, we could have a podcast on that. Yeah. Um, but it, it still goes back to how the government interacts with society mm-hmm. and what right. people say is right versus mm-hmm. wrong. Yes. Now in the eyes of the creator, what is right and what is wrong. There are laws. We have mm-hmm. to have laws. We shouldn't be able to do anything and everything. That's right. Um, we need rules, regulations. <clears throat> so, um, but once you go to your kid and you mm-hmm. say, you cannot have Doritos ever. Yeah. What are they going to do? They're going to go sneak and get Doritos. Yeah. So how are you having a dialogue with your kid, mm-hmm. society on topics? Sure. How are has, you communicating? That has some level of contemplation on morality, mm-hmm. on right versus wrong, yeah. on the right amount, yes. of the interaction of, of whatever you're doing or taking. Yeah. Uh, so drugs is no different. Absolutely. If you hammered out for a long time that these are bad, mm-hmm. that it's a gateway, that it's going to kill you, yeah. then at some point you're going to create laws and stipulations and mm-hmm. boundaries that support that, and you're going to have side effects the other way. Exactly right. So, All right, so let's, John, let's talk about the legal side. I mean, over the last couple of years, what, um, um, what challenges have you faced? What obstacles have you encountered? 
along the way. I mean, it's a, it's a vertically integrated company. Yeah. That doesn't just happen overnight, man. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, naturally, um, you know, there are laws, and there should, there should be laws. Mm -hmm. um, so I think when you're dealing with laws, you're dealing with compliance, yes. and you're dealing with details. Um, you know, so you need to make sure that you're, that you're doing things, what we call, the proper way. Mm -hmm. Hence the name of our company, yes. Proper Cannabis. Right. Um, there's, no, there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Yeah. So, um, so as a result of that, you're always faced with, um, you know, the, the, the nuances of the business. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, you, you need a village of people. Yeah. Uh, in this business, if you're going to cultivate, yeah, uh, that's different than um, the retail side. Sure. So in this case, um, how do you get the right people in the right seat? How do you build a, a, a team on a yeah. vision? Absolutely. A year ago, we didn't even know what we had. Yeah. It was just the law, right? right. So you're pursuing, the, you know, the law, and you're saying, I think I can do this, mm -hmm. and you need to put together your best bet. And your best application, we did that. Well, sure. Eight weeks ago, we found out what license we had. Yes. So now the execution of the business begins. That's awesome. Uh, you need good attorneys. Yeah. You need good doctors. You need good salespeople. You need good products. Mm -hmm. um, so it's surrounding yourself with good people. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's leadership. And then right? you need, you, and then you do need capital in this business. Yeah. You need, you need. You know, if you're going to go pay a medical director and a pharmacist and yeah. this attorney and follow the rules the right Those way. Those expenses add up very, very quickly. Yeah. So it is unfortunate for, um, you know, those who um, could be good operators. Mm -hmm. um, but there's still many people who have that entrepreneurial spirit who could be very successful in this business. Yes. Um, and at the end of the day, whether you're um, 50th, Mm -hmm. On the list of Tom James, yeah, or a hundredth, or fourteenth, or fifth, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. No, no, it really so you doesn't. Look at yourself and say, what What do you want? Yeah, what are you called to do? Are you Are you doing your best? All right. Are you pouring into the lives of others? Yeah. All right. So on that note, John, uh, Ash, what it, here in the states? It's is it legal in eleven states now? Is that right? Thirty three or thirty four. Thirty four. Yeah. So what advice do you have for, you know, for other people out there who are going down the same path. You know, if you were doing it over again, what advice can you give to people that maybe things that you encountered that um, would be helpful or beneficial? For, for cannabis or For business? cannabis. Um, um, realize that you are impacting people in some capacity. Mm -hmm. um, on the consumer side somebody is interacting with it who is that person yeah um, people are people mm -hmm. the more we can be considerate of people what's going on in their lives uh, the more we can have an impact on them yes whether you're selling cannabis mm -hmm. whether you're selling suits right whether I'm building a building mm -hmm. whether I'm being a parent yes Taking the focus off yourself yeah. and putting it on a, on others. Yeah, I love it, man. Um, well, John, as we're uh, as we're wrapping up today, man, any um, any final thoughts or any uh, any words of wisdom for uh, for our listeners out there? Well, you know, Ben, this has been uh, um, this has been therapeutic, yeah. right? Just the, yeah. the, the the nicety of sitting back on a Saturday morning and having a discussion about whatever. Yes. I appreciate um, you taking some time out of your uh, your busy schedule, man. I've really enjoyed uh, 
man, getting to know you and, and work with you over the years. I can tell you, John, you've, um, man, you've truly made an impact, a yeah. positive impact on my life. And, and likewise, Ben, and I think what, what, um, what I think has allowed that relationship to blossom, whether or not we uh, see eye to eye on every topic, is mm -hmm. even this morning, a place of vulnerability, a place yes. where you can be honest about how you feel yeah. um, and have a discussion. Um, you know, so I think maybe the takeaway is, uh, you know, hopefully some of your listeners can, can um, you know, realize that it's okay to talk about things that are difficult mm -hmm. to talk about. Yes. Uh, but still pursuing the things that internally they, they believe in. Absolutely. So, um, so let's dig in, brother. Have a, uh, have a great day. And, yeah. um, you know, thanks for having me on. Definitely. And, John, how can people uh, uh, connect with you? on social media, or how can people get in touch with uh, with proper brands? Uh, well, my cell phone's everywhere. I, I, th there's no self-prophesizing uh, <laughs> here. Proper Brands, uh, I think our, our website uh, at least has a little bit of a teaser, properbrands.com. Okay. Savoy Properties is our, is our real estate company. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I've got board meetings at the Missouri Athletic Club now. Uh, if you're in St. Louis, you, you can find me. Just pick up the phone call. Awesome. We'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. John, thank you again so much yeah, for being Eddie, here. Thank you, brother. Uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Level 10 Mastery. We, uh, we couldn't do it without your support. Um, if you haven't already, get on iTunes and give us a review. Until next time, get out there and become the best version of yourself.